Hello, and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and we're back. And excited to kickstart the show again to talk to guests about what they do, how they use data and analytics, how they got to where they are today. And we are happy to have you join us as well. So our guest today is Joe Holtzen. He spent over a decade working with the Washington Nationals, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Pittsburgh Pirates in a variety of roles. Joe recently joined True Media as our MLB team lead, where he's our primary liaison with our 22 MLB clients. And I wanted to have him on to help explain some of these different jobs inside an MLB team and front office. I know before I joined True Media, I, I know what most sports fans know about MLB front offices. We see the front-facing decisions they make. We know there's a big staff of analysts and coaches and scouts who fill these behind-the-scene roles. But I wasn't really sure what different kinds of analysts and scouts and others did. And Joe's done a lot of those jobs, so he's going to help us answer a lot of questions here. So Joe and I will walk through his career path, talk about how he got started with an MLB team in the first place, what he did in his different roles with different teams, pros and cons of working for a club, how the use of data has evolved over the last decade, and some of the different skills needed to work in an MLB front office. Then producer Sergio de la Espriella will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with True Media's own Joe Holtzen. We're joined now on Expected Value by True Media's own Joe Holtzen, our MLB team lead, who worked for more than a decade with three MLB teams. Joe, welcome to the show. I want to walk through your career path. So let me just start. You're in college at Kenyon College, Division Three Swimming Power. Uh, this, this is before you're obviously working for an MLB team. What was your kind of path mentality? How did you kind of approach, hey, I think I might want to work in baseball, and how did you get there? Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my my path to working in pro ball kind of took a delay. I uh, When I was in college, this was a little bit before you had easy access to emails, so I would uh, send form letters to every MLB team, uh, to director of baseball ops, uh, to the GM, to an AGM, um, and just hope for a response. You know, I would send them my email along, along with my resume there. And I think I got, uh, five, uh, postcards back in the mail that first time saying, thank you for your interest. Uh, we have no available jobs at this time. Um, so that was a little discouraging. Um, so I actually did not get a job in pro ball out of college. I went to go work for a uh, travel ball team in D.C. Um, where I kind of ran, helped run their uh, baseball ops uh, as well as uh, coached there. Um, in the meantime, I was still sending out uh, letters, finding emails where I could. And then every winter, um, I would uh, show up to the winter meetings in a suit and tie with a handful of resumes. You were one of those guys. Um, yep. Yep. And without any you know, meetings scheduled, and I would sit in the lobby and wait for someone to pass by that looked like they worked for a team or try to read name tags um, and try to get meetings that way. So it ended up taking uh, two years before I 
uh, got a, my first job with the Nationals. Um, and that was solely because uh, I went to Kenyon College and the director of baseball ops with the Nationals um, ended up going to a rival college in our division and would like recognize the name. Uh, so we ended up talking through that and that's how I got my uh, first interview with in, in pro ball. So from your, I could ask a bunch of questions just about that, but so is the, the winter meetings thing, how much of a route is that still? Cause I know they've changed a lot in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. How much of a route is the sit in the lobby and flag down people? Is that still a thing for MLB or what? Yeah, I, I really don't think it is. I, I really don't wish that upon anyone um, <laughs> because it is a, it is a very humbling feeling to sit in that lobby for really hours on end and just wait. It's, it, you know, it's really tough. I think, you know, there's a part of me that is glad that I did it, that I went through that. Um, you know, and I, if, if someone does that, I, you know, commend them for doing it and they probably get a little check mark in my book if they do it these days, but the access to, you know, email and social media and, you know, every other kind of avenue, LinkedIn, teamwork and all those websites, you know, they just give you such easier access um, and a line of communication to a team um, that like really didn't exist before. Um, so it's, it still exists. Like I still see guys and girls sitting around the winter meetings, you know, in their suits and ties and stuff like that. Um, but it, it really is not, you know, it, the numbers of those people are like greatly diminished now uh, than it was you know, 10, 15 years ago. So you, you're an econ major at Kenyon, if I'm not mistaken. I was. Is yes. that still like, is that something you would recommend? What, or at least one of you know, a handful of fields that you would kind of point someone toward if they're interested in getting into, especially the baseball side of things? Yeah, I, I think, well, today, today I would suggest like anything computer science. That would be my, if you were, if you were like a very general studies, you know, I don't really know what to go into in today's game. Uh, computer science is learning to code. Um, all that is a must need skill. Um, economics, uh, is a, you know, is maybe in that same realm, I would say. Um, I certainly didn't think about that when I was in college though. I, I, uh, I actually went to my very first semester at Kenyon. I, uh, I was in all physics classes. Um, I really liked physics in high school. Um, and then I got to college and I was like, you know, I'll give this a shot and then realized, uh, everything was way over my head. Um, so I ended up switching, uh, to econ because, um, a lot of my friends were in econ. It was kind of that in between of, uh, objective and subjective reasoning that, um, I kind of gravitated towards, um, which is a skill that I used, you know, later on in pro ball, I just didn't know it at the time that that was a skill set that I was developing. Yeah. It's a nice mix of art and science sort of. Uh, so you got the internship with the nationals. What does an intern in baseball ops or, or with the nationals in your case, what does that role do? Cause obviously, I mean, we have a sense of what an intern 
does handling menial tasks and whatever. But what what do you do on the baseball ops side? Yeah. So yeah, my first job was that uh, baseball ops intern, and it was every bit of a stereotypical, prototypical internship that you can think of. It was you know getting coffee. It was you know setting up rooms for meetings. Um, this was long enough ago that uh, you know GMs and AGMs would have uh, rosters of the entire organization on physical magnets um, in their offices. So part of my daily job was to kind of look through all all of our transactions um, and move the magnets around in everyone's office um, so that everything was accurate at the time. Um, And then there were some, you know, you had like daily tasks that you had to do. as well as some like larger month-long, season-long projects. Um, those consisted of, you know, just cleaning data. Um, I, you know, it was it, it wasn't something that I was like overly accustomed to at the time, but it was you know I had to go through and clean data from you know Fangraphs baseball refs that we were scraping from the internet to pull into our own system. Um, and making sure that, you know, everything lined up, that players matched with IDs, um, and that the numbers lined up correctly. You know, if you have you have one guy off slightly, everything looks wrong, and um, you don't want to you don't want to mess that up. Um, so those were like the basic kind of, you know, overarching tasks as an intern. There were, you know there were different things like during, during the draft and during the trade deadline um, where things would change a little bit, but um, you really do these kind of more overarching broad type of projects. And they're really trying to gauge what your work ethic is like and kind of how your thought process uh, works um, so that there, cause it's really like a, a year long tryout for a full-time job. Um, and that's like kind of what all all internships are, and really to some extent, what all jobs in pro ball are is just a co- continual tryout. Um, so it's it, it was one of those things that uh, you don't necessarily have to do them now. There are people who don't intern now; they get full time jobs right out of college and stuff like that. But I I look better upon people who have had to intern in pro ball um, because it's a certain kind of, um, you know, time in your life and, or experience that um, you just really don't get anywhere else. So from there you go to the D backs where you're, were an assistant in baseball operations. What's the, seems like the next step up. What is the next step up there kind of do? What did you do for a couple of years in Arizona? Yeah. So my first year, so after Washington, they told me, uh, that they didn't have a full-time job. They didn't hire any of the interns, um, that year, uh, full-time, but they do, they helped me get an internship or they helped me set up interviews and they, you know, wrote letters of recommendation. So then I went to, uh, the Diamondbacks where I interned for another year, actually. Um, and you know, you're making, I think I got a slight pay raise to like $800 a month um, with the with the Diamondbacks. Um, 
And again, like that first year was a lot of the same stuff, getting coffee, you know, setting up meetings, you know, general projects. Um, and then that second year as a assistant, um, I was helping our advanced scout uh, who would be on the road with seeing teams ahead of time and writing reports uh, on tendencies, weaknesses, strengths, all that stuff. And then he would send them to me. I would write up uh, any of the analytical uh, notes and put together kind of like the stat packs and all that stuff and build uh, the binders for the coaching staff, print everything out, give it to the coaches uh, before uh, before every series. Um, that was like kind of half of my job. And then the other half was uh, at the time they were, uh, you know, trying to create a new scouting software. It was talking to scouts about um, what they needed out of a software, you know, doing expense reports, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the typical, you know, here's the draft uh, projects, you know, tell us where the, you know, highest percentage of, you know, right-handers come out of every year or the last like five years, you know, where are the tendencies for uh, big leaguers, you know, making the, making their debut, how long do they typically stick, you know, sort of like general research projects like that. So from there you go to the Pirates. What did you do initially in Pittsburgh? So my initial year in Pittsburgh was a fellowship, which was a slight step up from intern. Um, I think that was another, I think I got another $200 raise. At live in large. <laughs> live in large. Oh, at this point I thought I, I had it made. Um, and so this was, again, a another kind of tryout for uh, a, another full-time job. Um, this was doing research projects, um, building, helping with arbitration cases. Um, that was kind of the second time that I got to do uh, a real kind of arb work type stuff, building decks, putting putting together arguments, um, and helping helping out with on that side of of the teamwork. Um, and then I since I had experience um, with advancing. You know, whenever there was a team that you, we were playing that was an NL West team that I had, you know, familiarity with, now, you know, I would, you know, send the then advanced scout um, any of my notes. Um, but again, more research projects. This is probably around the time where I got really introduced to True Media. This was the like 1.0 site where it was like, you know, everything was like, gray and yeah the old gray version of, of the dark. site yeah 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 so i i got really uh i got introduced um a little bit in arizona but i really started using it heavily in uh in my first year in pittsburgh all right so from there you start with the fellowship and then move to the video advanced scout role what does that entail especially for i mean if not familiar advanced scouting is for at the major league level for the opponent right what did, what did you do in Correct. that spot Correct. Yeah. So this was my, I did this job for four years. It was initially going to be a two year job. Um, and I ended up doing it for four. I worked uh, under Clint Hurdle. Um, 
as the advanced scout, video advanced scout, it kind of coordinating and helping out, um, you know, just making sure all of these, all of this stuff was working as smoothly and as efficiently as possible. Um, so the way we had it set up was that I would watch video on every player that we were about to face. So strengths and weaknesses of pitchers and hitters, how are we going to attack um, hitters as pitchers? And then how are our hitters going to approach uh, every pitcher? So I would write these very long reports. Um, you know, it would, it, this was one of the times where interning, I think, gave me an idea of the work ethic required for this because it was, you know, show up to the ballpark at six or seven in the morning, um, you know, start working, you know, try to get some food and a workout in, but it's, it's watching video for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes per player, uh, and writing these reports, trying to find these tendencies. Um, and then on the flip side of this, we also had advanced scouts who were working ahead and I would take their information compare it to my own information, you know, 80% of the time things line up correctly, you know, the same, we get the same kind of, we get to the same conclusion. Um, 20% of the time, maybe, maybe less, maybe more, um, things don't line up. And then that's where we have the discussions. Um, and those discussions happen uh, before our advanced meetings, and during our advanced meetings, because those are the things that we really want to like hammer out. Like, what are we going to do? You know, I say fastballs up, advanced scout, live advanced scout says breaking balls down. They may be, they may both work, but what are we going to do? Um, so going through all of that is kind of what the advanced scout does, along with helping coaches and players kind of work through any video and uh, and data that they may want to look at to uh, either prepare for the next game or review from the games before, um, helping along with that. We had a we had a video crew uh, down there as well who would you know help them with the big side of video, um, and I was more of the um, objective analytic side of things at that time. And the end result of that you know, process for a given series is, is kind of what you referenced earlier. You come out with a, whatever, a binder or a bunch of uh, clips, things like that. And you're presenting those to coaches who are then taking them and actively presenting them to players, et cetera. Yeah. So you'd come out with every, after every, every three days was kind of the cycle, um, depending on how long the series was. But every three days you would come out with a, a one binder for each coach, um, bullpen, one for the bullpen, uh, and then one for each catcher. Um, and then we would actually PDF all of these files and then uh, give access to them to the players. Um, and so then it was up to, you know, the players could look at them if they wanted to, they could ignore them if they wanted to, you know, they could read as much or as little as they wanted. Uh, it, I, I learned to not particularly care whether they read it or not. Uh, and the coaches would, they would read it with a fine tooth comb. I mean, they would go through all of this stuff um, and really like pick things apart. Um, 
which was very nerve wracking at the, at the, at the start when I, you know, cause here I am a, you know, a D three, not great baseball player. Um, now writing reports, um, for the big leagues. Like I, you know, nothing like I really didn't feel like I had any prep for it up until that first advance report that I wrote. Um, and I really did not want to mess things up. Um, and that, that was a, like a driving motivation, uh, for a very long time was just like, don't mess this up. Don't get it wrong. Um, cause that's in the advanced world. And as an advanced scout, that that's really the only thing you can do. You, you know, you never get praise for getting things right because that's your, that's your job. Your job is to get things right. Um, but you get all of the blame, um, you know, you know, players, coaches, do you have an example of, you know, just making this up, you know, your suggestion is to attack a guy this way and then, you know, he homers off that pitch or something. And then like, like, what is that like behind the scenes when that happens? Obviously anything ha- can happen in a small sample size, but how does that kind of go down in practice? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it. I remember like one instance, I won't name names, but I remember one instance where I was, you know, the, the initial recommendation was, uh, attack fastballs up starting pitcher goes out um, this hitter gets up to bat follows the plan fastball up maybe a little middle middle but I won't you know that's that's for <laughs> history to decide um, and first first pitch home run and you know at kind of the game kind of unravels a little bit after after that, you know, three, two or three runs, like come in that inning, another run or two, the next inning guy gets pulled after that, uh, after that, like second or third inning. And he comes into the clubhouse and comes into the video room where my office or my desk was, um, and is hot. It is just, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? fastballs up home run are you kidding me like uh, just laying into me more more colorful Um, i'm assuming yes very much (laughs) a lot more colorful um and then i i just you know you you kind of have to sit there and wear it like as an advanced scout and i think in a lot of pro ball like you do really have to have a pretty thick skin um to survive especially when you're dealing uh when you're in the clubhouse because it's a it's a room filled with highly competitive type a people. Um, and it tensions run high, like games, games really, really matter. Every pitch really, really matters. And having this guy just like lay into me at just for five minutes straight, I was just like, what can I do? Like, there's no, there's nothing you can do at that point. And then after the fact, and then after the game, you know, we ended up losing the game, I think. And, you know, we're sitting there and he comes into the clubhouse and he's like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. I did that. Like, are we good? And I'm like, yep, we're good. That's it. And like, I totally forgot about it the next day. And we move, we move on, you know, you, you wash it off and tomorrow's another day. Um, so yeah, yeah. Getting, getting worn out is not uncommon. As an <laughs> it reminds me a lot of like 
my background working in television where, you know, an anchor is kind of like the pitcher or whatever, where you're the face of everything and it's your job that everybody's seen. And if somebody, you know, if I mess up a research note or someone, you know, rolls the wrong highlight or whatever it is, you might get yelled at. And I got yelled at, but yeah, most of the time, once the adrenaline comes down, wears off, whatever, you know, you can apologize, you can talk it out. It's fine. But yeah, there's a, there's a different element when like, it's so public there's so much on the line. It's, you know, TV is not wins and losses, but baseball is obviously wins and losses. So it's kind of black and white. Uh, so yeah, that's a good, that's a good tip there. Just gotta, at some point, you gotta just gotta wear stuff, so to speak. Yeah. And, and as long as, you know, you, you know, as the player or whoever it is, you know, I've been worn out by coaches before, like, as long as, you know, there's a, you know, understanding that where that, is coming from and it's coming from the want to win which is like just the overarching want and drive of everyone in pro ball and in most things like as long as you understand that um like you can you can get over everything anything really really quick so you then you move from the more video advanced scout road to a full-fledged scout or i'm not sure if that's the right way to say it what was different as you kind of transitioned to a slightly different role yeah so i after my four years of uh, advancing, I, I, to be honest, like got burned out. You, you know, those are really, really long hours. It's a lot of pressure. Again, it was a two-year, supposed to be a two-year stint. Ended up doing it for four. I was traveling with the team in the a lot, you know, the sec, the last year, you know. So it's really time-consuming. Um, so I, I needed a change, and I. I think everyone in in the Pirates organization saw that I needed to change. Um, and so I moved into a pro scout role or a uh, scouting assistant role. Um, and that was me covering uh, the Arizona Fall League and the Gulf Coast League rookie ball uh, for, I think I had, I had, coverage of 15 organizations and each team had it had two teams so it was me and another uh pro scout who would cover these leagues um and it was a lot it was uh you know you're going to, you're going to these games most of these games are uh being held at spring training complexes uh so tampa and Phoenix was where I spent most of my time. Um, and you just watch these either newly drafted high schoolers uh, or uh, international guys who are just coming over from, you know, Dominican Republic or somewhere and they're just getting signed um, or have maybe a year or two of uh, DSL under their, under their belt. Um, and you're watching arguably not great baseball. Uh, the, the, game, the games themselves are, are not particularly smooth. Um, they have a weird flow to them, um, especially early on when pitchers are on pitch limits. Some of the uh, some things are scripted, like you have to throw a, a changeup uh, within the first three pitches of an at bat, you know, as an example. And so you, you see these weird, like it's two Oh, um, because he just, 
you know, the pitcher just fired two fastballs above the above the catcher's head because he doesn't have command. Um, and now he has to throw a change up. So it's like it, it's these weird, like weird things like that where you're you're not really looking at the game itself, but you're trying to pick out traits of a player. Um, like how do they move? Do they move quickly? Are they fast twitch, slow twitch? Um, do they kind of have a sense of what they're doing? Do they, you know, when you see a pitcher who has command or feel for it, you know, they immediately jump out. Um, you know, you can sit there with a radar gun and, you know, or look at the TrackMan uh, posts and it says, you know, 97, you know, great. You can look at it. Um, but it's, it's hard because you're trying to project these guys, you know, four or five, six years down the line of what they could be. Um, so you're really looking for skills, skills more so than like a full-fledged baseball player at yeah. that point. What do, you, what do you have from a data standpoint there? I mean, you mentioned the, you know, the radar gun, of course. What, what else do you have from a data standpoint to try and help you, uh, you know, merge with your eye test there? Yeah. So it's it, obviously like the further down you go from a data perspective um, from MLB, the less you have. Um, and so, you know, you have velos from either radar guns or from TrackMan that's set up at those stadiums. And if you, you know, start talking to one of the minor league video coordinators down there who's, you know, tracking games with bats and stuff like that, you know, he might tell you, like, oh, that exit velo was like 92 on that on that double. Um, so you can like make a note of that. Um, you can, some places have more data than others. Um, but the data is, it lags a little bit, you know, it's not, it's not immediate. Um, and same thing with video video is like lagging even more so in some cases at those levels. Um, but you do get kind of, you're a little more than the basics of what I think most people are used to, used to uh, beyond the like baseball card numbers. You do, you do get like exit velocity and spin rate and break like horizontal and vertical break. You, you do get those eventually. Um, but in some cases it just like doesn't show up. Um, you know, if TrackMan if TrackMan's down that day, you're just you're not going to get it. So it is, it is like significantly more, uh, you know, working with your eyes than, than kind of referencing it off data. And I think that's kind of the point for a lot of that, where like a pro scout, you, at least in my eyes, like a pro scout, you know, you want to, you want to bring something to the table that the data doesn't. Um, and that's your opinion of kind of, what does the data not show and we're not even, you're not even thinking about it. So, you know, this guy moves quick, this guy moves easy. It's a quick first step. He's smooth around the bag. You know, it's a quick arm action. Those don't like necessarily translate super easy at those levels, you know, certainly at higher levels with, um, with like biomech biomechanic data and stuff like that, like that you start to get to that, but that doesn't really exist at least back then. Um, at those levels. So that's what 
the pro scouts at those levels are really bringing to the table. So then your final gig with the Pirates was player valuation analyst, which sounds like it brings the econ uh, major back into play a little bit more. What does that what did that role uh, entail for Pittsburgh? Yeah, finally. So uh, player valuation analysts or PVAs, as we call them, um, were a uh, kind of creation uh, under the new uh, Sherrington regime. Um, it was an attempt to kind of blend a little bit of the scouting world and a little bit of the analytics world together. So the way things were set up is that we had groups of uh, pro scouts coupled with an analyst, um, and then we would have conversations um, similar to what we I used to do as an advanced scout. So the pro scout would say, you know, I saw X, Y, and Z of this player. What does the data show? And we would speak to um, that player from an analytics side. Um, I was I was probably the least analytical of all of our PVAs. I I you know my skill set was video, and that's kind of what I leaned on. Um, but it was a great learning opportunity for me because I learned I started to learn how to code a little bit, a little bit of SQL, a little bit of Python, a little bit of Tableau type stuff um, during that time. A little bit of R, uh, trying to figure out some visualizations because that was. That was kind of the biggest thing uh, for me was trying to communicate this information uh, to our scouts who maybe don't necessarily care about raw numbers, but if you can present it to them and explain it to them in a like very intuitive way, and this goes for everyone, you know, if you can present it intuitively, everyone gets better. Um, so that was something that I tried to at least like work towards. A little bit um and then working on uh you know we had other projects and other responsibilities of you know when a waiver claim would come through if you were the analyst responsible for that organization you would write that uh you would write that player up um in a just a quick summary of like oh, i recommend that we claim this guy i see him above the bottom end of our bullpen and you know, that type of stuff. And whether, whether, you know, we claim that player or not, you know, you just got to make sure that that information is in. So a lot of, yeah, player evaluation, but also adding that kind of, I don't know, financial or roster aspect of it all to try and just put it all together holistically for decision-making purposes. Yeah. So like the valuation portion of it really came in, not, not necessarily in terms of like dollar value, but prospect value. Um, so when we get to the trade deadline and for, for front offices, other than, you know, the draft and the trade deadline are like the two big dates uh, for a front office. And they put them within six weeks of each other or whatever. Yeah, they put them right next to each other. Yeah, Yeah, just bury everyone, um, (laughs) get it all out of the way um, at one time. Don't let anyone breathe for too long. Yeah, we'll Um, see you in August. (laughs) Yeah, Um, good luck uh, catching, getting down off your caffeine high. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But so we would get to the trade deadline and you'd sit there and you'd put together trade packages for your players. Um, and that's where the valuation 
portion of it came in. You know, so if we value our own player X amount, that player, our return, like needs to equal that in some way or fashion. And it was up to us as a front office group to kind of figure out that combination or those several types of combinations that we would find acceptable uh, as a return. Now, the, you know, the one thing about it is, you know, you put together all these, you know, trade ideas and combinations and stuff like that. And you realize like, oh, these sound great. These sound like really good returns. Well, if they sound really good to you, the other team is going to say no. So like we, you do kind of have to like learn this balancing act of how much are you really going to stomach of return? Like how little are you willing to get in return for a player? Um, which is, you know, which is kind of tough at times. Um, but it's a good exercise. I think that's something that I, I didn't really know going into it um, or didn't really like think about a, a lot was, and it's something that came up a lot is that the other team gets a say in things. The other team, you know, they can easily say no. They can, you know, a trade package could look amazing in your eyes and they just value your players differently or they value their player differently. Um, and there's no way of knowing until you have those conversations. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So that's a good kind of overview of a whole bunch of different roles with an MLB team. Let me ask you a few kind of general questions uh, from the 10 plus years. How, how did the use of data evolve? I mean, obviously the StatCast era showed up in the middle of, of that MLB run for you. How did the use of data evolve for teams over the last 10 plus years? Yeah. So it's evolved exponentially every year that it's been in, that I've been involved with it. Every year there's something there's some new way of looking at things there's some new statistic there's some new way of cutting data there's more and more data now um than there ever was before i mean as an intern like i i mentioned we were you know at times we're scraping baseball reference for information um we're scraping public sites fan graphs you know stuff like that for for our information that we're using internally um, as an organization. Um, and then as I kind of get, you know, went higher and higher up, you know, you see these analytic departments start to grow. You see, um, you know, expected uh, information, expected projections and stuff like that become more and more um, prevalent um, not only because they are, you know, we think they're better than the public facing versions of X slug or something like that, or XOPS, just for a very easy example, like the internal proprietary numbers, you know, take into account things that a public facing site either doesn't think of or doesn't have access to. Um, and those can be, things like weather or like, you know, any, any number of, you know, factors that, you know, you don't see or think about from a public or you don't think are important from a public, uh, facing, facing point. I remember, I remember moving one of the bigger, like uses of analytics was, uh, 
came when I was with the Pirates, and that was the use of the shift. So um, during my time as the advanced scout, our shift was very dependent on um, our objective information. We had our infielder uh, coach who would adjust things like based on how they felt, but it was very heavily influenced um, by the machine as it was like quote unquote <laughs> called or you know the black box um but what was interesting is that the pirates actually tried all of the like the extreme shift stuff out first in triple a um for an entire year they ran basically a study in in triple a uh the year before they like brought it heavily into the big leagues um and they you know obviously there were people who were upset by it when it got to the big leagues, you know, guys who just like don't, you know, starting pitchers who, you know, ground ball at the middle or to, you know, the opposite field. Now there's no one there because we're all shifted over heavily. Like that should be an out and they get pissed. Um, so they, in order to prevent or in order to like try to curb that argument of like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Um, I think they ran this study in AAA just being like, listen, on a, maybe on a pitch by pitch basis, yes, you're going to lose some outs, but over the course of a season, we are going to gain outs. Um, we as a team, like the player individually <laughs> may, maybe may not. be, maybe not, maybe pissed. Um, at times, but the team as a whole are going to gain outs um, based on these shifts. Um, so that was like one interesting thing that um, came from my time. And then now with like biometrics data, um, high speed video, uh, you know, video tagging, all that, all this stuff, we're getting more and more um, analytics and data uh, in the hands of people in the front office and into the hands of coaches. Coaches are becoming um, way more analytically inclined, um, way more accepting, I think, of data than maybe they were in the past um, because they realize how much it can help and um, and how intuitive it is becoming. You know, before it was like this black box of, you know, oh, this number says to stand here, you know, or this number says, you know, swing this way or something like that. Like it was an analyst. It was a, you know, person coming to tell them that, um, that they didn't necessarily trust, but now that the information is available to them and highly intuitive to everyone, everyone's becoming way more acceptive of the data and way more interested in it too, because they realize how helpful a tool it is, um, to their day-to-day -day lives. When I, and I think a lot of people initially think about sports analytics jobs, we always think of, I think, teams first, whether it's MLB, NFL, NBA. Uh, there's obviously a lot of other things. We've talked about this on other pods, and we try to have you know people from a variety of uh, companies and business types within the industry. I guess, let me ask, just for your, having worked for a team for over a decade for different teams, broadly speaking, kind of what are the couple of biggest pros, the biggest good things about working for a team as opposed to working for whatever it is, a data company or something else uh, in sports analytics? Yeah. So I, th I think it kind of, it's certainly overarching 
the best part about working for a team is winning. It's, you know, it's feeling like you're a part of those wins, whether in whatever small amount of, uh, you know, contribution that you might have um, on a daily basis. Now, through my experience that, you know, all of that, you know, kind of looked a little different. Um, you know, the pros when I was an intern are, you know, were significantly different than the pros of when I was an advanced scout or a, a analyst. You know, when you're an intern, you're just, the pros are you're working in pro ball. You're, you know, those are the, those are the big things. As the advanced scout, I was, you know, felt the pro was feeling very connected to those wins and losses, you know, feeling like you have a direct day-to-day impact on, on the game. And then, you know, as a scout and an analyst, it was the best parts were that like feeling of contribution to the overarching organization that year, not only that year, but for future years, you know, I still feel that decisions that I helped made, make in the last two years are going to affect the team, the pirates, you know, two or three years down the road. Now, whether those are positive or negative effects <laughs> have, are yet to be seen. I hope right. they're positive. Um, but, you know, knowing that I had those, that I had those impacts, um, you know, those are, those wins are, you know, the best part of working for a team in my opinion. And on the flip side, what, what are a couple of the challenges that, you know, from the outside, we may not see uh, that come with working for a team. Yeah. So I, th- I think one thing that everyone kind of assumes is like everyone is the same and everyone's going to work well together and all that stuff. And right. You're on reality, the same path. Lot, you're all trying to do the same thing, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Or, yeah. You, th- you think it's going to be smooth sailing. And in reality, you know, working for a team is like any other company, you know, there are people that you like and don't like and people that you kind of have to work for and get to work with and all this stuff. But, you know, that, that is a challenge. Um, and I think another challenge of working with a team that probably people can guess, but don't really know it until they get into it are just all the sacrifices that you have to make, um, in order to work for a team from a, like a timing standpoint and work-life balance, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, work-life balance, if, if you're doing it right, you know, you can cert if you want to be, if you want to get a job the next year, your work-life balance kind of goes out the window. It just doesn't exist. You, you need to be working, you know, you need to dedicate a lot of your life to the team, you know, especially starting early on because you have to prove yourself. Um, I missed friends, weddings, you know, I missed, you know, vacations and birthday parties. Like if, if it happened during the baseball season, I just wasn't there. Like that's how it works. Um, you know, the other sacrifices are like, if if you want to get paid a lot to work in baseball, be a player, be a really good baseball player. <laughs> be a lefty reliever who goes for 15 years, right? Exactly. Like that's, that's how you make a lot of money working in baseball. And because you're just not, it's just not going to happen. It's, you know, and you kind of have to realize that, you know, if you don't think you're making enough money, there are 15 other people behind you who are willing to do the job that you're doing for less money. Like, you know, um, 
So kind of that feeling of not not having a ton of control year to year, because um, you do t- tend to work on one-year contracts. You know, there's this time in October and November where you're sitting there and you're like, I wonder if I have a job next year. <laughs> you're waiting for the call one way or the other. Yeah, which is which is a terrible feeling. I mean, I, I, there are a lot of people who, you know, go, you know, find out that they are getting a like a 2% raise on December 15th um, and their contract starts, you know, January 1st. And if you don't want it. Yeah. Two weeks to figure something else out. Yeah. And and that's really tough. That's, that's something that I don't think that a lot of people really understand about, about working in pro ball. Yeah. I feel like that's a, it's a thing with a lot of, I don't know, or I just, I'll just call them like cool jobs. Like, ooh, you work for this or that. And that's the challenge of sometimes you get paid a lot less than you might doing the same thing elsewhere. But because a lot of other people will do it, that's that's where you're stuck. Yeah. For, for better or worse, you are like, and there's, I guess not for better or worse, for, like there's no really other way of putting it. My mind is like, you're pretty replaceable. Um, and there are very few people who in front offices who are truly irreplaceable. Um, GMs get fired all the time. You know, everyone gets fired at some point. You know, you're, you do not work in baseball long enough. Um, if you work in baseball long enough, you are going to get fired. It's just how it, it just how it happens. You have to accept it. Um, and if you don't work in, if you don't get fired, working in baseball for 10, 15 years, you're either like not that important. You're not making that many decisions um, for it to be effective, you know, for you to be affecting anything. Um, or you're in like the 0.001% of people, um, you know, who work in baseball. Job security, forget about that. Not so much. In pro ball. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's good perspective. I think it's important for people to try to, you're going into something, go in with your eyes open. Um, let me wrap this up with our kind of playing favorite segment where we, rip through a number of your favorites just to get to know you a little bit. So what is your favorite number and why your lucky number? Lucky number. So I have, I have two and one is more recent than the other. My first one is 14. 14 is double lucky. Um, it was my high school number. Um, growing up, I tried to get it when I was, uh, when I went to college, um, but it was retired. And so I ended up being 35 and, uh, in college. Um, and my like more recent favorite number is, uh, is 39. Um, and that's actually the number my, my little brother, um, made his debut with, um, he made his MLB debut in 2000 and, uh, 19, uh, with the Cubs. And that was, that was his number. So ever since then, if, if we have, you know, playing the lottery, I make sure to play 39. Nice. Who's your favorite player when you were a kid growing up? Uh, growing up outside of DC in the Maryland area before the uh, Nationals existed, being a Baltimore Orioles fan, it's got to be Cal Ripken. Can't can't argue I mean, with that one. Yeah, I can't. You know, I wish it was a little more niche and a little more interesting than that. But the Iron Man was great. Didn't go for Brady Anderson or anything like that. Couldn't. couldn't. <laughs> uh, so you're in Pittsburgh for a while. What's your favorite Pittsburgh specific food that you would recommend if I'm visiting? I got to try this. So it would be a restaurant and it would be Pepe's. 
Pepe's is a sandwich uh, shop, right? Of, I think I've been there. It's a yes, it's a sandwich shop. They they do like cheesesteaks, which isn't obviously a Pittsburgh thing, but they have kind of the chopped cheeses. They have the mixed sandwiches. Um, I typically go with the Whiz with double meat and uh, Cajun style fries. Um, it is it is an amazing meal. It will uh, immediately put you to sleep um, <laughs> into a food coma afterwards, but it is well worth it. There, uh, there is one in in my old apartment. Uh, there was one walking distance from my apartment. So, it's funny you mentioned the put you to sleep thing because I've went to Pepe's once. Went to game in Pittsburgh. Went to Pepe's, and then had to drive back to Connecticut. Uh, right afterward and it was a struggle getting into yeah. eastern pennsylvania and yeah i made it but yeah it was a, it was a battle uh yeah. favorite nerdy kind of nerdy part of your job with mlb teams that you've liked um so this one is it you know kind of came in the more recent years uh you know teams have these projections on players and you know whether they're you know we project them to hit you know, this slash line, or we project them at this value. Um, I, I always found it incredibly interesting. And part of my job actually was figuring out when those, when the projection doesn't line up with the production, um, in either direction, is the projection too high, too low, or guys overachieving, are they underachieving? Um, is this going to be uh, just a one-year thing? Is this a career? Is this career-changing? Um, and what was interesting to me about that too is that while it was data-driven, those obviously those numbers are data-driven. A lot of times, the reasoning behind that, why there, there was a difference, would come from non-data sources. So, like a swing, like a guy who made a swing change uh, in the off season, like the data can't show that the data projection starts at, you know, we make those projections at the start of the year, that swing change starts, you know, comes in that new year. Um, so like why, you know, trying to figure out and piece together why these projections aren't lining up exactly yeah, with production. I think it was, I want to say JD Martinez when he was with the Astros, he got like, let go and made some change in the off season that they didn't have the data for just, you know, through 10 spring training games, goes to Detroit, all-star, et cetera, et cetera. That's a, that's a tricky thing. Um, and finally favorite, how did I get here moment? Meaning, you know, working in these, you know, cool jobs from the outside. Do you have a, how did I get here moment? We were just like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool where my career has gotten me. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of those times was, uh, my first, uh, team flight, uh, traveling with the team, you know, just sitting on a charter flight and, you know, they, you know, there's Chick-fil-A waiting for you on the, on the plane. And, you know, there's, you know, all the snacks and food you could, you could want. Um, that was, that was pretty cool. But one, one in particular, kind of like one day that I think of was, um, I had a lunch one off day in San Diego where it was, um, our pitching coach, uh, our bullpen coach, uh, and our bullpen catcher along with our video coordinator and one of our, uh, analysts when I was advancing and, uh, we went to a sandwich shop, we drank, 
about three bottles of tequila <laughs> off day. And we just hung out for, you know, two or three hours at the sandwich shop, just talking baseball and all this stuff. And I think about that day, I was like, wow, this is like, this is really cool. A lot of people are never going to hear the stories I'm hearing right now. And a lot of people are just like never going to have this experience that I'm having right now. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't get this any other way. You know, if you're a random person in the sandwich shop, like you're not going to come sit with us, you know, you know, it was one of these things that I I think about from time to time. Yeah. I, you know, but it's one of those things that I think about from, you know, time to time. No, it is a lot of the the downtime is sometimes the the fun part where I had the same thing where having dinner with whatever TV analysts or something. You're like, I'm here with these guys who played in world cups and these women who won multiple titles. And it's just a, it's a little bit surreal sometime. Um, all right. Joe Holson, true media MLB team lead veteran of over 10 years with three different MLB teams. Thanks for joining us here on expected value. Thanks Paul. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Joe Holtzen for joining us on the show. I'm joined now by producer Sergio De La Espria. Sergio, what did you take away from the chat with Joe? Thanks, Paul. It's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to hear you say my name correctly after such a I long try. absence. I you, su- you succeed. You don't try. You succeed. Um, I got. Uh, I thank my grandparents' Puerto Rican heritage for a little bit <laughs> it's, of. It's the, dol- it's the Dolphins fan in you. the R and things like that. That's right. Yeah. A little too much time in Miami, maybe. There you go. Um, no, it was great. The The Joe interview was really great. I, I thought that it, it was, you know, I like to kind of bring things back to, like we all do as humans, you know, we bring things back to what we know. And as the listeners know, I have a background in theater and performing arts and and in the theater industry. And it was kind of funny to to see and hear Joe describe the process of how he kind of got to where he was today and all of the um, high working, low paying jobs that he had to do. And I was thinking to myself, is this a, a, a baseball career or is this a theater career? I wasn't sure what it, what was going on there. Um, but, but it's, it's just very, you know, those are the unsung heroes, right. Of organizations. Those are the people that really make things happen on a micro level. And if you don't have your micro things in line you can't do the high level success that teams like the diamondbacks teams like the nationals um can can want to do and and it was just nice to hear someone describe their journey and and just the dedication and and all the success that he had and and where he is today now that he's you know we're very lucky to have him here at true media so it was it was a really cool story to to listen to and how he went and progressed through all those things yeah i think my kind of high level takeaway was kind of a similar thing and Stuff I kind of knew, but he, he just said this really well, how MLB teams are like any other company in a lot of ways. You know, you're talking about it with as far as just the, you know, you work your way up sort of thing and different jobs that are available. Um, you know, I saw a lot of similarities between my ESPN time and and what he was talking about. And it's teams, are, I, I said this in talking with Joe, teams are the very clear kind of sexy analytics type of job that people want to get into. And there are a lot of great things about them. Uh, there's also things to be aware of. I'm not saying they're better or worse than any other job because they're different. Like you can experience highs like nothing else with a team of winning a title and lifting a trophy and winning games. Uh, if that's not a priority and you want more normal ish hours, you know, there are sports data companies and other things like that to work for. Um, so just, yeah, it's, 
good, I think, and what I try to do with some of these things is just open people's eyes. They can know what they are or aren't getting into or what's interesting to them because different kinds of jobs appeal to different kinds of people for different reasons at different times of life. And it's good to know what your options are because this uh, kind of analytics world has changed so much in the last five, 10, 20 years. You know, it didn't exist 20 years ago when I was in college. And now you can major in sports analytics at some places. So uh, things have just changed so much that I always think it's good to know what's out there, know what the possibilities are, uh, see what interests you and take it from there as you try to, you know, we're all trying to figure out you know, where we want to go and what we want to do with our careers. Yeah. And it was cool because, you know, he, like a lot of people, you know, they, you play the sport that you like a lot of people working in sports, right? You play the sport that you kind of end up becoming a part of. And it's because, you know, there's only a handful of people on earth that are good enough to play at the highest level. And just because you can't doesn't mean that you don't know about sports. Just because you can't play at that level doesn't mean that you don't contribute to a winning team or like us here at True Media to somewhere where, you know, you can contribute to a company that is helping teams become the best that they can, right? Like I bet I could imagine you know, winning a, being an analytics staffer on a world series winning team will feel different than, you know, us who have had quite a few championship programs in both the collegiate and, you know, win a world series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we, full disclosure here at true media, when, when the playoff brackets comes out, we look at the (laughs) field and go, okay, we have, uh, I guess what there's now 12 now. So it's like, okay, we have 10 of the 12. So we want one of these 10 teams, (laughs) but it's, that must be different than if you're working. Don't have, we're rooting against you. Exactly. Yeah. No, no hard feelings, but, but it's that, it's that thing of, you know, wanting to just stay involved and and contribute and and that kind of, it's, it's the best of what team youth sports is, right? The best of what youth sports is, is working together towards a common goal and a common purpose um, and learning how to work with others. And it's just cool to see how someone who once played uh, was able, was so determined, you know, to stick with that profession, whether, you know, transition in a different role from on field to, you know, if someone goes into coaching or someone goes into analytics and stuff, but it's still that you're a part of that team, that team success. So it's really cool to see. And then, like you said, you know, like for, for people like us who don't work with the team, but we do play a role in team success, it has its own benefits and its own advantages as well. So there is no one way to, um, work in sports, right? There's, there's unique paths and unique situations. I would have never thought that, studying musical theater, I would end up <laughs> the job that I have today. <laughs> and I think that that is just, I am one example. Yeah, you'll be ready for our musical theater analytics podcast coming in 2029. Yes, yes. Coming soon. Yes. Coming very, <laughs> no, it is not coming soon. But the, the, the point is you never know how you're going to get to where you're going to get. And, and I think that that was a great overarching theme of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks again to Joe Holtzen for joining us on the show. Uh, True Media, we made several new hires over the past couple months, and we're planning to work them into the show rotation so you can get to know them a little and, more importantly, gain some insight into how data is used by teams across Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, College Baseball, and more. So stay tuned for some of those coming up in the next few months. Uh, For more shows with people inside baseball, check out our archives. We've got over 50 episodes and guests, including Twins Assistant GM Daniel Adler, Nationals, Quality Assurance Coordinator Jonathan Toskus, uh, former Iowa pitching coach Robin Lund, who's now with the Detroit Tigers, and a whole lot more. While you're in there, please subscribe, rate, review the show. That's always helpful. And please share the show across social media or wherever you can. 
On behalf of Sergio de la Espria and all of us here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. Mm-hmm.